today's reading comes from Philippians 1, verses 27 to 30. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, when I come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is God's word. Well, what matters to you? When it comes down to those things that really do matter to you, what, what's there upmost? Of course, what matters to us really does change over time, doesn't it? What really matters to us when we're older is different to what mattered to us when we were 20-year-old. Uh, for some of us, we're at that stage of life where what really matters to us is that HSC result that we need to get into the course that we want to get into at university. For others, it's finding the right job or having the career that we want. For some, it's finding the right person to marry or buying that first house or unit. And then kids come along. And after kids come along, suddenly you're worrying about what matters to you is how well are the kids doing? Are they in the right school? Uh, Are they getting the right results? Are they happy? Are they doing well? Then you get to my age, uh, where you're in your 60s, And you start thinking retirement isn't that far away. Uh, Have I got enough to comfortably retire? But today I want us to think about what really does matter for us as believers. What is it that's so important to us that it shapes all the other things that matter to us? Now today we're going to look at what Paul said to the Philippians about what ought to really matter for them. In the first part of chapter, just to give you some Uh, background of chapter one Paul has told the Philippians about his prayer for them but then he's reported on his own situation and what was most important for him at the time as was mentioned Paul was in prison in chains most likely in Rome but what mattered to him while he was in prison was that Christ was being preached whether it was through him being in prison or whether it was the believers outside preaching Christ that's what really mattered to him What mattered for him was the gospel being advanced and for Christ to be exalted in his life. For Paul, he said it didn't matter whether he lived or died so long as he was exalting Christ, in other words, honouring Christ. Now, the, the passage we're looking at now in verses 27 to 30, Paul's turned away from talking about himself and now he's talking about the one thing that ought to matter for believers, for the Philippians, for us. Here's the one thing that ought to matter for us. Now, in verse 27, he used a single Greek word, which could be translated the word as the word only, uh, to introduce this new topic. Uh, the 2011 edition of the NIV has translated this as whatever happens. But I think the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, captures the sense of it a little better. It begins in verse 27 with the words, just one thing just one thing. 
Paul in these verses is talking to the Philippians about just one thing that really does matter in life. Let me read out verse 27 for you again. Whatever happens, or just one thing, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Here is what Paul believed was the one thing mattered for us believers, for the Philippians. Uh, And really, it wasn't very different to what mattered for him, was it? For, for, for the, for the apostle Paul, most of all, in his own life, Paul exhorted them to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. While Paul was talking about just one thing that really mattered, that exhortation then would gather, or gather together all the other things that mattered to them under that one thing and shape them, all the things that mattered. It would govern all that they would do and say. They were to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. They were to consciously think about that and how that shapes their lives as believers. They were to conduct themselves in that way for the sake of the glory of Christ. Now, Paul will spend the rest of this chapter and a good deal of the next chapter, up to about verse 18, spelling out what this would mean for the Philippians. But today we're just going to focus on those few verses, verses 27 to 30 that were read out for us and look at what Paul meant by this exhortation and why it matters. Paul told the believers in Philippi that they were to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now, the Greek word polytuomai that the NIV has uh, translated conduct yourselves in a manner, was a word that was derived from the Greek word for city, polis. And the word that is used here could be translated to live as a citizen or to live the life of a citizen. Now, Paul doesn't use this anywhere else in his letters. This is the only place that he uses this in his letters where he's talking about Christian conduct. And the suggestion is, and I really think it's a good one, that he uses it here because the Philippians were very conscious of their Roman citizenship. They were Roman citizens. Uh, With that came privileges and duties and rights. Uh, Even though it was a long way from Rome, it was a Roman satellite city with the road known as the Ignatian Way that linked Rome with the eastern province running dead set through the middle of it. Philippi had become a uh, Roman colony where Mark Antony and Octavian had settled their legions there in 42 BC. And the city had actually proudly maintained Latin as their common language in, in a world that spoke Greek. And it modelled its architecture and administration on Rome. They saw themselves as Romans, as citizens of Rome. Philippi was regarded as a little piece of Rome out there in the world. However, in chapter 3, in verse 20, Paul will remind the believers in Philippi that our citizenship is actually in heaven and that we're eagerly waiting for a saviour from there. And here in chapter 1, what he does is he's telling them how they were to conduct themselves as citizens of heaven while living in this world. We're a little bit of heaven, so to speak, a little satellite colony of heaven itself here in this world and we're to conduct ourselves as citizens of heaven. 
It was the citizens of heaven they were to be called to conduct themselves. And the way they were to do that is by living in a manner worthy of the gospel. The gospel was to shape their behaviour, the way they lived in Philippi, in that city. See, what's a reminder of is that we are to be people who are not shaped by our cultural norms, the culture around us, the city of Sydney, the the Commonwealth of Australia. We are people who have believed the truth and we're to put our trust in it and we're called to advance that truth, that gospel in this world. And as I said before, Paul will tease out what that means in the remainder of this chapter in a good portion of the next chapter as well. But here he wanted the Philippians to fully understand that the one thing that really mattered was to put the gospel at the centre of their lives. That's what they had to do. They put the gospel at the centre of their lives and let that shape everything now that they do. It's also what the Spirit of God also wants us to understand and do as citizens of heaven away from home. We're reminded that this is now not our true home. Our true home still awaits us. We're waiting a saviour from there. Wherever we live and whatever situation we find ourselves in, we are to live as citizens of heaven and to be always conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. But why does it matter? Now, I'd just like to highlight a few things that come out in these verses that we're looking at today. Firstly, what Paul reminds them of is that we are actually in a spiritual battle. We are in a spiritual battle. Secondly, living this way becomes a sign. It's a testimony to people. And thirdly, living this way is your privilege that you have been granted. Firstly, we're part of this spiritual battle that is going on in the world. See, the gospel is advancing in the world. Paul can use sort of military terms at times and he can say that it's advancing in the world. But the world is resisting it. The world is is pushing back. There are those who oppose the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. And in these verses, Paul uses several words that you might have found in the description of a battle, in a fight. And that would have resonated with the population who were mainly descendants of soldiers, of the Roman legions. Uh, He tells them to stand firm which meant hold their ground. Uh, He tells them to to contend or strive together as one. He tells them not to be frightened of the opposition. He wrote to the Philippians that we're part of a struggle, this same struggle that he's a part of and involved in, which was for the sake of the gospel. And whatever mattered was that whatever happened, they were like Paul to stand firm. Let me just read out that second part of uh, verse 27 again. Then when I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Do you notice the the, the idea of striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you? Paul explained to them that this meant standing firm in the one spirit. Now the image is of a people in a battle having to stand their ground and doing it by standing together as one in the spirit or possibly through the spirit who unites them together 
in the one body. It, it conjures up the, that image of the Roman legion standing there shoulder to shoulder, uh, standing their ground with their shields around them for protection. The Philippians were not to give ground to the opposition in any way, but to hold their ground by, by maintaining unity, by maintaining oneness, uh, the oneness of the spirit and standing together as one. See, what we have to understand is that none of us are meant to be standing alone. None of us are meant to be standing alone. Um, you and I are to be committed to a group of local believers who are strengthening and encouraging one another. It's interesting in Hebrews where it talks about not being deceived by sin, the antidote to that is to keep on encouraging one another. And then he goes on, don't give up in chapter 10, don't give up meeting together. See, we stand together and as we stand together, we hold up one another and we stand firm. And as we do... Paul says we shine a little bit later like stars in the universe by holding firm to the word of life in Philippians chapter 2 verse 15. See, sadly, in Philippi, that was not happening at the time. At least two women had lost sight of that. uh, Many scholars believe this is part of the reason why he's written a letter to the, the Philippians. A little later, Paul will again call on believers to stand firm in chapter 4, just before pleading with two women, Euodia and Syntyche, to have the same mind in the Lord. Now, you think, well, what's that same mind? If you're familiar with Philippians chapter 2, you know what that same mind is, where he describes them uh, and says to them they have to have the same mind. It becomes out clear that it's the same love as Christ have. Where has for us, where he puts the interests of others above his own. You and I are meant to be committed to people who are standing together as one with that same attitude, committed to loving one another, committed to standing firm for one cause that will see all the other petty things fall away because we're standing together to advance the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Not looking out for our own interests, but for the interests of others. See, you just don't sit in a church pew every week and then have nothing to do with one another. We're not meant to rush out without engaging with anyone, but we're to be a committed group of people who are standing together and encouraging one another, shoulder to shoulder with, with one another. Paul goes on to explain that this also would involve striving as one for the faith of the gospel. There's the common cause of the church. This is what we're meant to be doing, all of us together, standing for that, for together for the common cause of the gospel. A common purpose, a common cause is what holds us together at times. It pulls us all together. Paul was calling them to stand shoulder to shoulder in that cause. They were to work together as one to advance the gospel in that Roman colony in Philippi, as Paul and others were doing in other places around the world, advancing the gospel. And and that's what you're to see that is your call at Castle Hill Baptist Church. Your emphasis here is to be unity, and you need that unity, but you're you're working together for one common cause, to advance the, the gospel among the people who live in this area. See, we don't 
have all separate ambitions as, as uh, church members. We have one common cause, one common goal in life, and it's that cause of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're to be here for. That's what we are working together for. That's what this church is, should be all about, as just as Chatswood Baptist Church should be all about. But Paul then adds that we're to do it without being frightened of the opposition. Now, from the outset of Paul's ministry, if you remember the story in Acts, there's been opposition from the first days. Uh, In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, in a short time of arriving at Philippi, uh, had been stripped, they'd been beaten, they'd been severely flogged and thrown in prison. That was the start of the ministry there in Philippi. Uh, In this case, it wasn't the Jews that often who stirred up trouble for Paul. Uh, It was actually actually, uh, workers, uh, workers who or businessmen who'd lost the opportunity to make money out of a slave girl because of Paul. So they dragged Paul and Silas before the magistrates and they accused Paul and Silas of causing an uproar in the city. Uh, Let me read from Acts chapter 16, verse 20 advocating customs that were unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Now they saw themselves as Romans and they could see that what Paul and, uh, what Paul and Silas were preaching would, was different to their own culture, their own standards. As a Roman colony, loyalty to Rome and to the emperor would have been paramount. It would have been expected of all its citizens all civic ceremonies would have had sort of a a pledge of allegiance to Rome and to the emperor, who they worshipped as though he were a god. The emperor by this time was beginning to proclaim himself as lord and saviour. Believers who only had one lord and saviour wouldn't have been able to go through with that allegiance. It would have brought them into sharp conflict with the authorities and their proud emperor-loving neighbours. And that would have meant suffering and persecution for the believers. And knowing this, Paul can write to them and say, do not be afraid of the opposition. Stand firm together. Stand together for the sake of the gospel. Hold out the truth of the gospel. They weren't to let their fears of what their enemies might do to them get the better of them. Paul can write this because he believes that what matters most is living a life worthy of the gospel. And not even death, not even the threat of death, should impinge on that. This is the way that he lived his own life, but it was also the way he believed that all of us should be living. They should all be doing this as, as believers in Christ. So Paul writes to the Philippians, encouraging them not to give in to fear of the opposition that they faced. For what they have in Christ is better by far, and it was secure. It was better than anything that Rome could offer them. It was better than being a citizen of Rome. They were actually a citizen of heaven. It was better than anything that they might lose in this life, including this life itself. It didn't matter what happened to him or what the opposition might do. He believed that the advancement of the gospel was all that mattered. 
and nothing could even compare with the glory that was to come in Christ. See, what Paul's reminding us of is that we are part of this struggle. The struggle hasn't ended. We will find ourselves at odds with the culture around us as well. The struggle or the conflict goes on. But the outcome is in no doubt. We're waiting for the Saviour from heaven. One day we'll be with Christ and that is better by far. But right now we can expect opposition. We should expect opposition. Paul tells believers to expect persecution, hardship. So we should expect it. But the way we face it is standing together. Standing together as one. Holding on to the gospel. Encouraging one another to hold on to the gospel. Striving together for the faith of the gospel so that Christ might be exalted. So that he might be honoured so that others might be brought into the kingdom. The big question is, what is the cause that you're actually striving for in life? What is it that has your heart, that grips you? What is it that's shaping the way you live your life? Is it this gospel? We need to be careful that we aren't just working hard to really just get ahead here in this, uh, uh, this Sydney, this, this, this town we live in or to make ourselves comfortable, or to just have lots of nice things like everybody else around us. Whatever we do, wherever we are, you and I are to be striving for something very different to the person that lives next door to you. And we're not to give in to the opposition and be afraid, but have courage and know that Christ is coming again. And the opposition, in fact, to Christians is growing in our, our, our city. But we must hold our ground as we hold out the word of life. We are to have that same mind as, as a group of believers. The same mind that holding onto the truth is, is better than whatever this world can offer us. And we're to stand shoulder to shoulder together, encouraging one another to hold our ground. Hold tight to the truth of the gospel. Live it out in our own lives. That's why you come together every week to encourage one another, to spur one another on. That's why we meet. See, we live in a world where increasingly it's exerting pressure on us to conform to its ways, its values, its beliefs. But we come together each Sunday to encourage one another to live those lives worthy of the gospel, to be reminded of what we have and who we are, citizens of heaven. Now, Paul goes on to write that if we stand together in this way without fear, that is a sign. It's it's in some way a testimony. It's a sign of one thing, destruction. Destruction of the enemies of the gospel, but also of deliverance for the Philippians. Uh, have a look at the second part of verse 28. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, the opposition, but that you will be saved and that by God. See, such courage and resolve in the face of opposition highlights the fact that believers have this indestructible hope in the gospel that nothing can actually take it away, not even the threats, not even the loss of life can take that hope away from us. It's an indestructible, and it's a sign of salvation which the gospel promises. It's evidence that our faith and hope in Christ is in Christ, 
And it's a sign that we will be saved through the grace and power of God. On the other hand, those who, who oppose people who want to live their lives worthy of the gospel are shown to be enemies of the gospel. Their opposition is a sign that God's judgment is actually coming upon them. It's a sign of their ruin and destruction. The believers in Philippi were being assured that the opposition they face will turn out for their own deliverance as they, it, it, it increases their resolve to put their faith in Christ and what he's promised them. We are not to give in to our fears for God will deliver his people. Well, the last thing Paul says in these verses is that it is a privilege to live such a life. That's the way you to see it. We often see it as a burden, something that's heavy, something that's a duty that we have to do. But Paul says, no, this is one of the privileges of belonging to Jesus, that you suffer in this way. Um, he writes in verse 29, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. See, he says, in the case of the Philippians, you've not only been granted the privilege to believe in Jesus, that's a great privilege, isn't it? To believe in Jesus and have this hope that we have. But with that privilege comes another privilege. You get to suffer in the same way that he suffers, to share in his sufferings in this world. And you see that not as a burden, but as a privilege, something that you're privileged to be able to share in. See, he says they had joined with Paul in the same struggle that they seen him going through in Philippi and that he now was still going in, on in Rome. In Philippi, they had seen him stripped, they'd seen him flogged, thrown in prison, uh, thrown in the stocks. They'd seen all of that, and yet they still became believers. They still put their hope in Jesus. Paul believes it's a privilege to suffer like that. For the one who suffered for him, it's a privilege to be able to suffer in his name. For the one who gave himself for him, it's a privilege to, to be part of this struggle, this work that is going on in the world, to be advancing the gospel. It's a privilege to be part of that work. And that's how we're to see it. It's a, it's a privilege to be let in with what God is doing in this world, saving people. You know, when my kids were young, a long time ago, you, know, you used to try to involve them in the work that you were doing. You know, we made a, a rabbit hutch for, the, for the, the two nasty rabbits that we actually bought that we were glad to see when they passed away. But that's another story. But you wanted the kids to, you know, help you in that work. And there was a real joy when they could be part of that work. And sometimes you'd hammer the, 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 the nails in so you just left a little bit out so that they could finish it off. But then they could say to me, Dad, we built that together. And they were really proud of that. And there was joy in that. And we get the same sort of joy of being involved in God's work as he gives us the privilege of being part of what he's doing. That's a real joy, isn't it? To be able to look back in eternity and say, I was part of seeing that person come to know Christ. God gave me that privilege. But it's a privilege you'll only have if you're willing to suffer at the same time. Paul is not saying that we ought to be looking for suffering. But if we do, we must understand that 
We suffer for Jesus and that is a privilege because we do it for his honour and glory that we will one day share in. See, friends, what matters for you? This might be a time to actually reflect. Go away today and think to yourself, what is it that really does matter? What is it that's you know, steering, steering the car here? What direction is it going in? Um, for Paul, there was only one thing that really mattered, and then that shaped every year, everything else that mattered. Living a life worthy of the gospel. It was what mattered to him and it's what's meant to matter to you and I as well because we are citizens of heaven. We're not just citizens of Sydney. We're citizens of heaven. We're a little outpost of heaven here on earth. And we are to live like that, be it in a colony like Rome at the time or be it in a city here in the Commonwealth of Australia. In chapter 2, Paul will go on to explain to the Philippians that they are meant to shine among the people that they live among, like stars in the sky. Well, that's how you do it. We do this as we live a life worthy gospel, standing firm together in the hope, striving shoulder to shoulder for the faith of the gospel, contending for it, counting it a privilege when we suffer. That's how you do it. What matters most for you, that's the question now. Is it living a life worthy gospel? Are we putting the gospel at the centre of who we are as a person? Putting the interests of others above our own? Or are we still chasing our own interests, just like everybody else in this city? Or our lives being captured, have our lives been captured by these little small causes that might kind of be good in themselves, but are not to be the one thing that matters the one thing that matters to be at the centre and Paul says just one thing so that's what we're to do when we go from here, go to work or at home engage with our families or go down to school to help we are to be living as citizens of heaven in those places seeking to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, holding out that truth to others. And we are to work at it together. You're to work at it together. That's what you're doing when you come together. You're working at it together. Uh, You're not here just like a coincidence that we're all like, you know, I went to the pictures yesterday. People around me, well, they were just watching the picture. I didn't have to interact with them at all. They just happened to be in the, the, the same theatre and it was pretty packed. I would have been glad if they weren't there and I was the only one that was there. But the people around you do matter. They are, he- they, are, they are here so that you can invest in them, encourage them, stand together, shoulder to shoulder with them, not letting petty differences get in the way but striving together as one as you advance the gospel in this world. Friends, the Lord is calling this church, this people, to stand firm in this world, to hold your ground, to stand shoulder to shoulder with your brothers and sisters in the cause of the gospel. Friends, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel.